Hi, I'm the person whose closet is put in color order, but I'll also pick up an earthworm without thinking twice. In fact, I did yesterday. <laughs> it needed my help. I'm not afraid to be a little messy. Human nature is messy, but nature nature can help us embrace it. I love the brand seventh generation. Their laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with the power of bioenzymes. That's exciting. You wipe your hands on your pants after you pick up an earthworm. Seventh generation is like, don't worry, hug a dirty tree, huff some bark. It's good for you. That is the power of seventh generation. Find laundry detergent and other laundry products at seventhgeneration.com. I love worms. I know I usually save my secrets for the end of the episode, but I'm going to tell you my secret favorite candy. It's Reese's peanut butter cups. It's really Reese's anything, but Reese's peanut butter cups are the thing that I'm like, have I had a bad day? I get these. Have I had a good day? I get these. Chocolate salty peanut butter, the textures. I love everything about them. Also that there's two. So I'm like, oh, I get this one for later, which is one second later. Anyway, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, I love you. That's all. If you're me, you can shop Reese's Peanut Butter Cups now at a store near you, found wherever candy is sold. And I am. Oh, hi. Welcome to Smologies. What are Smologies? Okay, so these are shorter, kid-friendly versions of classic episodes. So we took them and we took all the swears out. Nothing too racy. You can listen around kids. You can listen around your grandparents, perhaps work colleagues, whatever. If you want the full length version of this episode, though, of course, it's going to be linked in the show notes. We also have more Smologies up at aliward.com slash Smologies. Okay, enjoy. Oh, hey, it's your wallet, which if I'm so important to you, why do you lose me all the time? Allie Ward back with a watery historical episode of Ologies. I've wanted to do this episode for so long. Truth be told, I would love to revisit this ology again and again. Perhaps I will. Do you want that? I have a sinking feeling that you do. But first, hear the episode. So this ologist is an ologite as well and pitched the topic to me with such zeal and such passion that I just couldn't wait to dive in and hear all about it. She's so enthusiastic about the science and the culture and her approach to what lost craft represent in terms of history and lives is really beautiful. I think you're going to dig this archaeologist. Okay, so maritime archaeology. Maritime archaeology comes from mare, which means sea in Latin, and archaeos, which is ancient in Greek. And there are very niche differences between marine archaeology, nautical archaeology, and maritime archaeology. But this guest is technically a maritime archaeologist. And also, this gives me an excuse to do more episodes on stuff that's underwater. So works for me. Now, she took a break from cleaning dive equipment and finishing up her master's thesis to hop on a call to chat about her love of the sea, the Bermuda Triangle, Atlantis, her favorite ship captain of all time, your new favorite ship captain, and the life that blooms around tragedy. So batten down your hatches and shiver your timbers for a chat with maritime archaeologist Chanel Zafiropoulos. shipwreck expert. Uh, my name is Chanel Zafiropoulos or mm -hmm. Zap, whatever is easier. Uh -huh. uh, and she, her. Do you get seasick? I'm going to guess no. I've been seasick uh, like twice and once I'm pretty sure it was food poisoning. Um, <laughs> Ships ahoy, let's go. Can you tell me a little bit about what 
maritime archaeologists do? Are they collecting samples? Do they raise the ships off of the seafloor or is that very verbatim and it's like, keep it there? Uh, you're going to hate me, but I'm going to say it depends. Very classic okay. <laughs> response. Institutions and governments have different practicing policies in different parts of the world. And then it also depends on your interests and your budget. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but just a big thing. So there definitely have been wrecks that have been entirely surfaced. Um, the Mary Rose, the Vasa is a big one. Just a quick aside, some cliff notes. The Mary Rose was a 16th century English Tudor warship that capsized off the Isle of Wight and was raised up in the 1970s. And the Vasa is a Swedish warship that sank in the Stockholm Harbor on its maiden voyage in 1628. Thousands of people had gathered to see her off and rounded a corner, hit some wind, flooded, sank. There are a lot of conservation issues, even if you manage to raise the funds to raise the ship. And then it also, like, for me, there's the ethics of it. Some shipwrecks don't have a lot of marine life growth on it. They're not having a big ecological impact. So I'm like, okay, maybe you can surface it. Some have a negative impact. And so you're like, yes, do surface it. And then some is like, no, it's doing more good where it is. Like, it serves a purpose where it is. Everything in archaeology has an equilibrium in terms of decay. So -hmm. it's going to reach a certain point where it's no longer going to decay underwater and underwater actually depending on the the environment might be better for it than anything we can do on land so if it's not in harm by shipping lanes it's not in a site where there's going to be like development maybe you're going to put a offshore wind farm there you might want to just leave it because it's going to cost a lot and it's you know it's doing some good where it is so yeah it's definitely a mixed bag sunken treasure <laughs> did one person find sunken treasure one time and then everyone's like bunch of ships out there with gold on it or was that an actual thing where they their banks were like in the hull i wish i knew (laughs) i wish i knew more about pirates and whatnot um i know a lot more about corsairs than i do about pirates what's a corsair so corsairs are often called air quotes legal pirates and that's not entirely true oh privateers sorry and then corsairs pirates do it for themselves, right? Like they're the thieves of the high sea. They are looking after their own interests. Corsairs are acting in the name of a country or a religion. Yeah, they do pillage other vessels and they do attack other boats and they do collect <laughs> literal treasure. Yeah, so but they, they also did do actual trade. So it might be like jewels and coins that they plundered from other vessels they came across. They might have been like, yeah, this load of pottery is going to fetch a pretty penny. We'll take that, please. So it wasn't like all treasure, but definitely they did have literal treasure chests and they had three keys to these treasure chests. The captain, I think it was the priest, and then the doctor all had one key. So you couldn't open it unless you had all three keys to make sure that the captain didn't steal from it because that Mm -hmm. was partially going to be your wages as your crew. Did you know that Florida has a whole coast called the Treasure Coast? Because 11 Spanish galleons sank in a 1715 hurricane. There's millions of dollars worth of incredibly shiny gold and silver coins out there. And sometimes they just wash ashore like Vegas jackpot style, only it's Florida and it's pirate treasure. Before, if a vessel sinks, 
someone's like, where is it? You're like, oh, it's in the ocean. But when did we actually start getting to study these shipwrecks? And by we, I mean, people like you, definitely not me, but was it when we developed sonar, radar? Like, how did it work? Great question. Studying shipwrecks themselves, it's happened for a while. Like we've been doing it in some way, shape or form for a while. Definitely the advent of scuba gear and sonar just escalated it like crazy because we used to have diving bells. We used to have these like great big canisters we could lower down into the water and with like piped air from the surface Mm -hmm. and people would work and that's how they would work on like bridges. So we did have ways to explore underwater before self-contained underwater breathing apparatus was a thing. It was very limited. Definitely sonar makes it so much easier to locate things. Now, sonar, as we know it, came about after 1918. It was developed around World War I, but some early uses are said to be in the 1400s when Leonardo da Vinci, like, screamed into an underwater tube. But back on topic. Communications, I would say, is the other big thing. We know where the Titanic went down because we knew exactly how far into its voyage it was when it sank. We knew exactly what sort of latitude it was supposed to be traveling at. And we had communications via telegram if it had deviated versus before that, okay, a ship didn't make it to harbor. You didn't find out about that until months later Mm -hmm. when it was supposed to have come back and it still hasn't. Okay, so it was supposed to go from England to New Hampshire. What latitude did it end up with? Did bad weather force it to take a farther south trajectory? So it's like pretty much good luck trying to yeah. <laughs> trying to figure that out. Wait, okay. The Titanic could send texts? Yes. So in the late 1800s, electromagnetic radiation was used to communicate Morse code wirelessly from ships and lighthouses. And it could travel about 300 miles in the daytime, but double or triple after dark. So ships could send messages to each other. Another ship heard her calls and saved some of the 700 survivors, although 1,500 lives were lost to the sea off Newfoundland, 12,600 feet deep. And the world record for deepest dive of a human hits 330 meters or around 1,000 feet. Hey, 2023, Allie here. And with the recent shipwreck news, I thought this might be a good place to chime in about something that comes up a lot when we talk about being down where it's wetter, down where it's better under the sea. And that is pressure. Okay, so think about how heavy a pitcher of water is, right? Which is probably less than a single gallon. Now, the deeper you go in the ocean, the more water is above you and around you, and all that water has a lot of weight. So the deeper you go, the more weight is pressing on you and the more pressure you feel. And pressure can be measured in what's called atmospheres. So one atmosphere measures 14.6 pounds per square inch. And that's the amount of pressure we experience at the surface level of the earth from air just walking around living our lives. For every 10 meters below the surface of the water, the pressure increases by one atmosphere. And we can figure out how many atmospheres of pressure are at a given depth with some really simple division. So we take the depth of the meters, and let's say the deepest a person can dive is a 1,000 feet. That's about 300 meters. So we divide that number by 10. So 300 divided by 10 is 30 atmospheres of pressure. So can you figure out how many atmospheres of pressure you'd feel at the bottom of the ocean where the Titanic is, which is 12,600 feet underwater? You can divide that by 10, but don't forget to convert to meters first. So convert it to meters by dividing by three and then divide that by 10. 
Okay, did you get it? Cool. Most shipwrecks, do they happen because of weather, running around, icebergs? What is sinking most of these vessels? Depends. So in some parts of the world, icebergs are definitely more of a concern than they are in other parts of the world. Um, Newfoundland, where I did my undergrad, definitely has a lot more concern with icebergs. In Newfoundland, you also have crazy fog. So that's definitely another weather condition. And there have been reports of vessels that just got lost in fog for days and couldn't navigate. And when you have this heavy fog, you don't have wind. So if you're relying on wind power, you can't really get anywhere. If you're relying on oil, if you happen to be going in the wrong direction, you're just going farther away from land. I am the phobias. A lot of wrecks happen in zones of convergence. The channels, things narrow out and you have to go through a potentially more dangerous area. A lot of wrecks happen because of other wrecks. It's a fun thing to say too. Like really? one ship goes down. Yeah. Like if you if you think back to when ships had masts, like one ship goes down because you navigated wrong or weather or whatever, you now don't have five meters beneath you till the rocks. You have a few meters before the mass, the superstructure, all of that stuff. I have so many questions from listeners. There's so many, okay. and they're such good questions. Can I lob some Patreon questions at you in a lightning round? Yes, absolutely. Okay. But before we do, a quick word about sponsors of the show. They let us donate to a good cause each week. And Chanel chose Diving with a Purpose, DWP. And DWP educates and empowers traditionally disenfranchised people as community scientists. And they started with members of the National Association of Black Scuba Divers, and they train young divers between the ages of 16 and 23 from diverse backgrounds as underwater archaeology advocates. So to find out more, you can go to divingwithapurpose.org. A donation to them was made possible by some sponsors of Ologies. This episode is brought to you by Merrick Pet Care. And y'all know I have a little dog named Grammy, which is short for Gremlin. And y'all help me name her. And there's nothing that we like more than seeing her happy, which means tasty dog foods. And Merrick has been crafting high quality dog food for over 30 years. They were founded in Hereford, Texas, but Grammy doesn't care about that. She cares about smushing her face in it and then licking the bowl. And I don't blame her because they use real ingredients and homestyle recipes like real Texas beef and sweet potato or Grammy's pot pie. Grammy's like, Grammy's pot pie. Get away from it. It's mine. I also like that on the bag, they show what's in it. And they always use deboned meat, fish, or poultry as the number one ingredient. And I think Grammy appreciates that. So check out Merrick online or in your local pet store and look for their new packaging with real ingredients shown on the bag and inside it. Yum, 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 yum. Oh, it's heating up. It's time to say bye now to your jackets and your sweaters and your tights and get reacquainted with shorts and tees, breezy things. Can I point you to the direction of Quince? What I love about Quince, you can build a lineup of timeless pieces. They keep you looking effortlessly chic year after year without spending a fortune. They have premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts. They start at $30. They have washable silk tops. And I love that all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% 
less than similar brands because they partner directly with top factories. They cut out the cost of the middleman and then they pass the savings on to you. So whether you need a sundress you can wear to a picnic or you need some good t-shirts or tanks that feel nice on your skin and are well-made, head over to Quince. I love them so much I put them on my body. That's what clothes are for. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash ologies for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash ologies to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash ologies. Okay, back to underwater nautical inquisition. A lot of folks all wanted to know what's the number one wreck you wish you could freely explore, but you can't. Ruby asked, is there an El Dorado of shipwrecks, a (laughs) mythical ship that has yet to be discovered? Is there one out there that people are like, where is it? Oh my gosh. I feel like every ship is that until it becomes discovered. And like the thing is, even when we discover a shipwreck, a lot of times we don't know exactly what ship it is until like years of study, right? Really? Um, Super cool. Oh yeah. It's not like when a flight goes missing, you've got the black box like radar for the last place. We don't have that for like older ships. So you do all this detective work before you can dive down to it. And like the LaBelle is a classic case of one where this archaeologist spent most of his career looking for it. And I think like the year before he retired was when he finally found it. (laughs) So like one of my personal heroes is this Greek naval captain. Um, She actually went on to be like the first female lieutenant in the Russian Navy. Her name's Laskarina Bubalina. Mm -hmm. And she fought during the Greek War of Independence. Admiral Laskarina Bubalina. So this lady was born in prison. Her father was a revolutionary. She grew up, she had a seafaring husband who was killed by pirates. She took over his shipping business and had more boats built, including a giant warship called Armageddon, which is not a subtle name. And she died in a gun battle with her in-laws. Paintings of her look like the teacher in high school you're terrified of, who also taught you the most and you liked the most. Part of me is like, I would love to find any wreck that's associated with her. Probably not going to happen. And that's okay. But basically, because like wooden shipwrecks, when they're damaged in conflicts, so there's a few ways that can happen. You either would try to damage their mast or their um, rudder so that they can't navigate. And then you try to board a vessel and then you claim it because boats and the cannons on them are so expensive to make and so labor intensive. A good ship you can use for years on end, right? So you don't actually want to like just destroy it to smithereens, which you see in a lot of movies. Uh huh. Um, like Pirates of the Caribbean? No. Oh, yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah. A ton of people asked about age of shipwrecks. Like how far back can we date them? Yeah. Okay. So it depends on the wreck. Definitely. Um, That annoying, typical scientist answer depends. And we've got a lot of different materials at our disposal, like resources at our disposal to age them. And the one that everybody knows is carbon dating. We can carbon date shipwrecks, some of them. Depending on the age, we'll decide how accurate that carbon date is, but which is still super cool. Quick aside, chemistry, fun fact. So organic matter has carbon and C14 dating is only applicable to organic and some inorganic materials, but not applicable to metals. What? I didn't even realize that. But you can use it on things like wood and bones and leather and pottery and such. Typically we can carbon date, but that's only one 
source that we'll use because carbon dating has a pretty big error factor, like plus or minus so many years. And then plus you add on to that the fact that the carbon date is not the date that the ship sank. It's the date that the tree was cut down. So depending on where in the world the timber is from, they have different methodologies for building ships and for harvesting timber. You might have trees going into building a ship from 15 different seasons, like 15 different years. And then on top of that, you might have wood that sort of sits in a shipyard or gets seasoned for X number of years before it actually gets built. And then the ship gets used for so many years before it actually sinks. So the date that you get might be 100 years before the date that it actually sank anyways. So then there's all these other methods that we use. Um, and so one of the big things would be looking at what's actually on the shipwreck, the whatever was in the hull, the materials it was carrying. Mm-hmm. So things like um, amphoras and bottles and coins all have like very stylistic changes that are very unique to different places and time periods. Mm-hmm. And that's one way that we can track the age of a, of a shipwreck. And then you get what I'm doing. <laughs> so sea creatures, especially hard-shelled sea creatures, grow at set rates, right? They've got sort of growth rings in their own shells. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is called sclerochronology. And this isn't exactly what I'm doing, but it feeds into that. So if there's this idea that the the coral reef or the ecosystem that's growing on the shipwreck can help indicate how long it's been there for, we can sort of backdate it. So my site, I know it's only been there for 75 years. I know that I have a rough estimate of the growth rate factors for all those organisms, you know, divided by 75 years. So maybe the wreck is 200 years old, but the coral is a spry 50. So she can find a shipwreck at a similar depth and compare notes on the living critters to get a rough estimate, kind of like a wreck detective, a wreck detective. So you'll typically look at all these different factors, as many as you can, and crunch them together to figure out, like, you know, where as much overlap as possible within all your different dates is. And then that gives you a more narrow time period for the ship's actual sinking. Ooh, that's some detective work. Okay. A lot of people had a question about what is the most interesting find on a shipwreck? In your opinion. So Amanda Chris uh, says, first time question asker, long time listener. What is the most fascinating discovery or item on a shipwreck? And why is it the anti-Cathira mechanism? <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, chef's kiss to you. I knew somebody was going to ask. So the anti-Cathira mechanism is like often called the world's first computer. <gasps> it's basically like four clocks. I think there was one that they think was every four years instead of every 12 hours. And so they speculated that it tracked the Olympics. I (gasps) don't know the validity of that, but it also has like evidence that might be linked to astrological or astronomical dyslexic. So I get them confused. Mm -hmm. Um, But so it was theoretically something that helped navigation because in order to track where you are at sea, you need to know the time and where you are. If you're looking at the night sky, if you're navigating via the sky, you need to know the time because that's going to decide where in the night sky certain things are. Mm -hmm. And then so depending on it, the angles that they're at compared to the horizon. And if you know the time, you know how far you've traveled from your origin. Oh, So you get into like the quantum physics of like knowing space, time and everything Mm -hmm. else, how they figure (laughs) it out. 
Picture a box with brassy cogs and wheels and astrological symbols, but corroded and fused into one rocky blob. So after its discovery by some sponge divers in 1901, it sat around for a few years because no one really knew or cared that this was possibly the first analog computer to predict eclipses and such. But yeah, so that's a very, very cool mechanism. That's cool because it's the only one that we found like it. And it's sort of standalone in space and time. The coolest things, I think, are always the things that show us about their daily lives. It's always going to be the things that you don't expect. But anything that tells you about the daily life. Because, like, as an archaeologist, we are interested in people's culture and, like, how they spend their time. So, absolutely, like, whatever the captain has, whatever fine china he might have in his cabin is neat. But when you find gambling dice on a ship like a shipwreck from a period and a time that you know that gambling was prohibited, that's pretty neat too. Yeah. Now, what about the Bermuda Triangle? I feel like it's not fair to Bermuda to be mostly associated with all this drama. What do you think about the Bermuda Triangle and all the ships that have disappeared there? Is it a magnetic force or is it aliens? LOL. Is it really dangerous? I don't know. (laughs) Um, I have theories I like to entertain the idea of spookiness, so I read into it. And this terrifying theory that the area between Miami, Bermuda, and Puerto Rico is a wreck magnet originated from a 1951 paranormal magazine. But experts say, nope, it's just a heavily trafficked shipping lane with the weather. It would be like saying a freeway interchange in a snowy city is haunted by space goblins. It's a fun way to live, but it's flim flam. Bella Treza, first time question asker, do you entertain theories of the Bermuda Triangle or Atlantis or other fun nautical conspiracies? So yeah, Atlantis, let's talk yeah. about it. Um, I hate it. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I hate it. Yeah, Atlantis probably doesn't exist. And people like to say like, oh, but every myth has some proof. So I have to stress Atlantis, there's one actual record of Atlantis existing mm-hmm. and it was from a Plato fable. So something that he openly admitted was like fiction. (laughs) It's not like a recount of some war. It's like his fables were very well known to be fiction. They were supposed to be narratives that people could learn from. And so the whole theory was that this Poseidon worshipping city angered Poseidon somehow and was dashed, like destroyed and sent into the abyss. There's no mention (laughs) in in, uh, Plato's story of people actually living underwater. Like, it's just not there. I'm sorry to anybody whose dreams I dashed. No, I think it's good. I think that this is necessary flim flam that needed debunking. So what is your favorite thing about maritime archaeology? So two things, I guess. Um, Because I definitely love being around the sea and like even just getting to look at videos from like marine life. I pretty much am doing my dream Mm. that I had as a kid. So that is like the best thing ever. But then the other thing is getting to work with communities and giving back to them because I did get to sit with someone while they saw the shipwreck that their grandfather had died on, uh, which was a submarine wreck, like for the first time, first time it'd been seen in 75 years. Like that is amazing. And getting to do Skype a scientist, like getting to actually make something accessible to people is probably the best. So ask aquatic experts 
great questions such as, what are you doing? And you'll get some really fascinating stories. And if you want more Smologies, you can find them at alleyward.com slash Smologies. There are tons of episodes. They're all kid safe, classroom safe with experts. We are at Ologies on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Allie Ward with one L on both. Thank you, Zeke Rodriguez-Thomas, Jarrett Sleeper of MindJam Media, and Mercedes Maitland of Maitland Audio for working on these. We like to keep these small and short, so you'll find a whole list of credits in the show notes. Thank you for listening and pass them on. And at the end of the episode, if you listen all the way here, I give you a piece of advice. And today's piece of advice is that I am recording this literally as I'm driving through, or rather riding in the passenger seat, of downtown Philadelphia, and I'm here for a conference, and I'm recording these now because this is when I have time to do it. And sometimes done is better than perfect. So better to do something when you can do it than put it off hoping it'll be perfect because done is better than perfect. So remember that next time you're intimidated by something. Okay, bye-bye. NetCredit is here to say yes to a personal loan or line of credit when other lenders say no. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partner. NetCredit. Credit to the people. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Listen, we're all carrying around just a backpack of stressors and sadnesses. When we keep them all zipped up and the load gets heavier, it can start to affect us negatively. You start to feel misunderstood, sad, resentful. A safe place to unpack that is, you guessed it, therapy. Therapists can help you dump out your bag and work through the heavy garbage that's weighing you down, in my case at least. I've used BetterHelp. They have definitely helped me understand that pushing my feelings down does not actually make them go away. It makes them feel worse. So if you've been thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient and flexible. It's suited to your schedule. You fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's so much faster and easier than trying to hunt down a therapist from just online listings and cold calling. That's one thing I love about BetterHelp. And if for any reason you're not vibing with your therapist, you can switch anytime, no additional charge, no drama. So unburden yourself and trauma dump onto someone who's trained for this. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash ologies today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash ologies.